All right, so it's been a while, but uh, I'm back on track and I have the most amazing guy in front of me. Uh, I'm here in Hong Kong at the time of the interview, and so I'm at the Africa Center in Hong Kong, and I am with a, ooh, how do I describe him? Social activist, um, academia, um, well, I'll let him explain himself because I'm probably gonna get things wrong. You're listening to KTUH, and I'm Crystal, and I'm here in Hong Kong with Innocent Mutanga. Innocent, welcome. Thank you, welcome, I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Say hi to your um, Hawaiian listeners here. All right. Hello. I don't know. If Aloha. Aloha. Okay. Now I know how to say it. Aloha. <laughs> Aloha. Hello. Sabubonan. That's how we speak it in Zimbabwe. All right. Sabubona, which means. Sa- Wait. How you say it again? Sabubona. Sabubona or Salibonan. It means I see you. So that's how we greet each other. I see you. I see you too. So we have got that concept of acknowledging other people that's great. so it's like so aloha i don't know what aloha mean but well aloha has, has many um uh meanings so you yeah. can say it's a uh, hello right mm-hmm. it's a greeting yeah. but it's also a kind of a representation of the sunshine of the state of okay. it's the energy of the place like yeah. if the supply does a person have aloha do they have that kind of spirit okay of, All right. of human of, kind of interaction and yes. sunshine and sunshine i think it's, it's very in many ways similar you know concept in many ways because we got that idea that we are sort of interconnected so whenever you are seeing somebody like oh, I see you it's the idea of acknowledging the existence of somebody yeah. so it's so embedded in our cultures especially in southern Africa so it's saying oh I see you I see you too so that's how we uh, we talk how that's how we greet that's cool yes yes that's and, uh, and actually that's actually a very great place to start because the idea mm-hmm. of acknowledging somebody is yeah. something that we tend to lack in many places. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's one of the things that I took for granted. I thought everybody does acknowledge everybody, <laughs> you know, until I I went out of my country and then I or out of the region and then I was here uh, in Hong Kong and I was in the U.S. and then I realized, you know, there are people who feel ignored. There are people who feel unimportant. You know, I remember walking in Washington D.C. You know. The other time, you know, 2012 was it, you know, and um, you know, and then I, I see these people who are on the street, like you know, they're asking for money, you know, stuff like you know, and then I'm like, hey, hello, 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 you know, and then this this gentleman pulls me out, and then I'm like, you know what, I've been here all day, like all the time I've been here, you didn't give me anything, but you have given me everything, like the fact that you actually acknowledge, like yeah. you know, the idea that I actually saw them and actually be able to say hi and I actually can recognize them in yeah. many ways and um, you know, I was there for like conference so I would come every morning pass through the place and then I'm like so to them you know they would always look up to for me to pass through there mm. you know in a society where they mostly felt like they are invisible yeah then all of a sudden somebody sort of realizing that you know I think I saw that as well here in Hong Kong you know in, oh yeah absolutely you know where people in most ways people just don't feel significant in many ways. And can know? I just throw yeah. in my yeah. two cents of that? Because having lived here for over 25 years before I moved back to the States, yeah. you know, we grew up, so I grew up in a privileged bubble, yeah? I was part of the expat community. My kids went to international schools, blah, yeah. blah, blah, and we all had helpers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe leaving it for a long time and coming back to it, when we go, when I go and visit my friends and they have their helpers um, preparing dinner for us as guests, yeah. I noticed that most people don't even acknowledge them. They, I, I saw that. I I saw that, you know, I was actually impressed, um, you know, with one uh, of my mentors, you know, um, you know, 
here in Hong Kong, his name is Kent, uh, Kent Watson, especially from Iowa. Um, <laughs> you know, so Kent, the way he works with his helper, it's totally different. He actually, you know, whenever we're eating, she want to involve, he wants to involve him, you uh -huh. know. He's, um, you know, his helper is known as the helper with the credit card. Uh, because a lot of people, even when they're doing the shopping, like she goes shopping yeah. with a credit card that is in her name, uh -huh. of course oh. attached to him. Right, right. To a lot of people, like, why, why are you giving your helper a credit card? That's, you know, people couldn't actually understand. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because I've seen it, like, they have to be, in most places, houses, they have to be so invisible. You know, they wear these pink uh, yeah. shoes. Oh gosh, the uniforms. They, they are yeah. supposed to, the, yeah, the, the shoes, silent, invisible, totally. Invisible. Not there, you know. I'm like, so for me, when I go to those houses, yeah. I'm trying to speak to the helpers. Yes. You know, I speak some Indonesian languages, Bahasa Indonesia, and then if they are Indonesian, right. they're just in Hong right. Kong. And so that's they that appreciate too. you yeah. acknowledging them. But I see, of course, the difficulty that the helper is feeling that yeah. that acknowledgement to them is like, okay, it's great, but I I'm don't know. I'm not supposed how, to talk. I'm not supposed to talk, especially, yeah. you know, so sometimes it's, you yeah. know. So yeah. it's, a, it's something it's like that... It's like draw this invisible line. Yeah, it, and, and somebody's there and they have to be invisible. I'm like... Yeah. I'm like, you know, when I talk to some of the kids in Hong Kong, like, oh, where's your helper from? Like, oh, I don't actually know. I'm like, what? You, you don't know where your helper is from? Yeah. How does that even work? You the know? class structure here is incredible. It's, it's, it's um, you know, there's really that sort of, you know, divide in many yeah. ways and which... You know, I, I you know, I don't, I don't appreciate those boundaries. Really. No, me, and and I am liberated from that. And then when I think back about my days when I go out with my girlfriends, and all they do over lunch is complain about their helpers and what they're doing. I mean, their life is consumed with that. Can you listen to yourself what you're trying to say? Well, yeah. Oh my gosh, it's really. It's you know, I, I there's a group here in Hong Kong, um, you know, on 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 social media which has um, you know. Mo I think it's moms with helpers. Yeah, it's a complaining group. Like, oh gosh, yeah, and that's what they feed off of. It makes them feel better. I am just like wow. When I read some of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, oh, this is ignorance. It's best. And then you have the other extreme where they let their helpers take care of the kids to a point where there is no connection between the mother and the child. And right? the child, they yes. don't even know what they're eating. They don't know anything. They don't know anything about their And the their thing lives. they do, you know, and then later on, the child is like. Yeah, you know, and where's, like, where's and the... Way, you know, the, the mother or the father's like, oh yeah, I've been, you know, I, I pay for you to go to the school. I'm like, the, the child is they like... They don't have a heart like, there. Yeah, you know, it's like, it's a very, it's very interesting in many ways. Um, Must be eye-opening for you coming from your background and coming to Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, for me, it's, um, it was one of those things which was eye-opening in many ways because... It, uh, my mother had been helped at some point, you know, in a different country. Wait, can we backtrack? We haven't even described, like, your background. The, yeah. So let's come back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So for me, it was... Uh, Where uh, were you born? I was, you know, in Zimbabwe, you know. Okay. And uh, there was a time my mother was working in, 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 in Botswana. A lot of my aunties as well, they go to Botswana. They, uh, you know, be part-time, full-time as helpers. Um, to what kind of families? Uh, it's Kwana families. I mean, in you know, Botswana, you know, economically, almost everybody's middle class. Um, so the uh, people of that particular country, so usually they are Tswana, you know, African people as well. Uh, so it's a, for me, and I never really thought as much about it, you know. And then when I come here and then I see that I'm like, hell, what, is this what really people are experiencing? So to me, that, that's, it's, that was more personal to me than anything in many ways, like, you know, seeing those, uh, those treatments. So a lot of people ask me, like, oh, why do you care so much? Why do you spend all your Sundays uh, with uh, migrant domestic workers? Uh, and I'm like, for me, it's personal. 
you know, it's a story that I feel like I'm actually understanding my mother in many ways. You know, it's a story that I think when I talk, you know, I understand. I understand women better. I tell people, like, there is no professor or books I could have read to help me understand uh, better on gender as a whole. Ex the people who taught me gender in its forms, gender, sexuality, were actually migrant domestic workers in Hong Kong. Those were my professors, if you want to call them professors. I, you know, I was, I was just like any most patriarchal guy who grew up in a society, you know, not as terrible as many people, but, you know, when I was being challenged with all that patience and learning, to me it was actually very, very interesting. It was just trying to think of how much value people put in society. Um, so you, you, you grew up in a very patriarchal society, then, yeah. you would say. I mean, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's not just one place. Um, but as a, as a child, let's just bring it back. Um, what was your upbringing like? You, uh, you grew up in, I mean, tell me a little bit about Zimbabwe. What, what was your house like? Did you have brothers and sisters? What was that like? <laughs> um, I was born in a mining town. Uh, so what that means, it's called Wange, so basically next to Victoria Falls, so more closer to Zambia and Malawi. Can I just tell you, I didn't, I didn't share this before, yeah. so my honeymoon, I was in Africa, uh, yeah. and um, towards the end of the trip, yeah. we were in Botswana on a, um, a walking safari, safari ah. but just very small mini group, yeah. and an elephant came out, mm -hmm. and we were about 10 minutes close to our camp, yeah. and it was sundown. And the tracker didn't see, and the it elephant. was a mother protecting the uh, the baby. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So when the elephant came out and went and first, you know how they they do the mock charge. Yeah. But it wasn't a mock charge. She came straight out for us, and the first thing my husband, new husband, it was strange. You know, he yeah. moved me aside to yeah. protect me, but the um, so the elephant went straight for him. <laughs> This is like we're all within like within, a but it just right? goes. But I can tell you because you understand the situation. When I tell the story to people who don't understand Africa, they'd be like, "Oh, <laughs> they laugh like like oh that's crazy." But so they they the elephant charged my husband, but he managed to dive under the elephant. Okay. So I okay. saw him under the elephant, but miraculously the elephant did not step on him; just kicked him out. So he managed to just bruise his spleen. He could have died, right? Yeah. But yeah. then after he kicked my husband out, then he went, uh, the elephant, she went, and um, went for the next guy standing mm -hmm. there who was just standing there like yeah, here, yeah, and hit straight at his chest and he fell down. By that time, the tracker, the guy shot the poor elephant yeah. and she fell over him. And then it was just a horrific... It's uh, an experience in many ways. I mean, it's, you know, it's, for me, I think it's one of those conversations I usually have with people way people romanticize nature that's okay yeah you know but you know if you are in hong kong you know there is you know the desire like oh yeah nature is wonderful i mean it is but but in many ways there is a, a real struggle between nature and the humans in places like as you described you know where in many cases where like if you don't actually do well in trying to survive as humans in certain environment nature will actually kill you in yes. many ways. It's, I get it, romanticize it in whatever way you want, you know, romanticize it, but think very clearly on what you are romanticizing. You know, I think um, there was a time in America, you know, in Zimbabwe, there was a lion called Cecil. You know, Cecil, by the way, is the name of, it's actually the name of the colonialist in Zimbabwe. So there was a lion <laughs> called Cecil, and then this lion was killed by a, a doctor from Minnesota or so, you know, in, in, and then Americans went out with their banners saying, oh, 
uh, justice for Cecil, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I got it. okay, justice for Cecil. I'm like, you ask me, I'm like, you know, Cecil and their brothers, they probably have been eating villagers' things, you know. You got these lions which are crushing people's fields after they work so hard, right. destroying houses, right? I'm not saying kill their God, their stuff, but it's like, try to really have an understanding on how nature yeah. and humans, when they are coexisting in many ways, there is this struggle that is always there, where one tries to conquer the other, and one tries to conquer the other. So trying to find a balance between the two, because diseases, you know, I, I think, you know, in most cases, I remember when we were growing up, we had to burn down certain mm, forests sure. at the certain time of the year. If you don't do that, diseases right. are going to come, right. and they're going to eat you up, all of you. So it's like, how do you yeah, yeah. balance those things? So it's, it's, for me, it's, uh, it's, you know, I think for me, that example you just gave, it's, uh, it's one of those where you're like, you know, somebody, you know, like, oh, did you just shoot the lion, the elephant? Yeah, did you, yeah. you know, it becomes a very... Yeah, so know, for a perspective from there, it's like, oh no, the elephant died, I mean, the elephant died, or yeah. the other perspective, like you're, you're implying, is that we're, this is their territory, this is it their It's the place that they, 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 they territory in many ways. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was a mother protecting her baby. It's protecting their own baby, it's protection. They, you That's know, the it, That's it's, her it's, 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 it makes totally sense yeah. in many ways. So it's one of those where you're like, how do you... Balance yeah. this. So yes. it's like when people used to have those debates, I'm like, you have to really think very clearly and yeah. not just romanticize from afar. No, no. And it's, the respect goes deep, deep. You need yeah. to really, yeah. It's, a, it's one of those, you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we're going off track, so I'm going to come back and pull back into your life. But let's take a quick break and we'll come back. And I'm talking to Innocent Mutanga here um, about his life growing up in a mining town in Zimbabwe. Okay, welcome back. I'm here, uh, Crystal, talking to Innocent about his life growing up uh, in Zimbabwe, but then coming to Hong Kong. So again, if you're just listening now, uh, I am. We're chatting here at the Africa Center in Hong Kong uh, because I was doing some research here, and I was here for this event. I wanted to ask you before, you know, I'm sorry for keep going back and forth, but yeah. what did you? How did you feel about this um, discussion we had not too long ago about anti-blackness from a Chinese-American lens by well, I think, research. You know, I think it was quite eye-opening, and I think the audience appreciated it more because the, you know the conversations on race relations, mm -hmm. especially in America, uh, has been more black versus white, um, you know, or black and white as a metaphor as well mm -hmm. in terms of like it's just this or that, you know. So these nuances uh, aren't as much appreciated, uh, and trying to think of okay. Where do the the Chinese fit in this equation? You know, I think post that, I even started to think about what about the Jewish? Where do they fit in this particular? You know, they are white, but we know this situation has not been. You know, they are one of the most discriminated group as well. Yeah. So I'm like, well, where do they actually fit? So for me, uh, and a few other people, I think it sort of opened the conversation to more into like trying to really, really think it through. You know. Um, one of the things you you know you you mentioned you know which is you know the idea of uh, the whole creation of what they call it minor, model minority yes. um, you know uh, it's you know it, to some it feels like oh yeah I'm a model minority but it's actually quite condescending exactly it's very extremely condescending Absolutely. Uh, you know like you know like they're creating this like okay you are this you know and you are supposed to aspire to be like this and in this way that's how you can be controlled in many ways yep. you know so so you know for me 
you know, it goes back to, you know, having this whole conversation. I was actually, we had another session here on, we talk, we, I spoke a lot about the Black Panther Party mm. and why it frightened the U.S. government so much. Mm. It only started frightening the U.S. government so much when they started to be popular among other minority groups. Mm. So their goal was not just black, black this, black that. It's like, how do we work with the, um, yes, the Native American, right. the, the, the Latin, other minorities? Yeah. And that scared the U.S. government to death. Yeah. Because when you're going to be seeing all these minorities, now they are beginning to see things in one, in one way to realize, you know what, we have a common enemy here. I'm not saying they're white people, but it's, there is a common enemy. Right. And we are victims in many ways. How do we come together? You know, they, that was one, that they were coming together as with other men. Number two, the African-American themselves were now being more self-sustainable, free healthcare for African Americans. They build those hospitals. They they they're doing all these things, empowering these young uh, black girls and boys. You know, and they scared them because the narrative of the government was African Americans cannot do things for themselves. We need to do th things for themselves, for them. So in a way, so it scared them. So creating the myth of a model minority. That's how you divide the minority. Exactly. That's how you, you divide. And one against the other. Yeah, you, you so know, you're not, better than the other. Yeah, ones. you're like, and you know, it's being done against. You know, you can, okay, you're the modern minority. Don't be like the blacks. Yeah. You know, and then even Chinese mothers or fathers, when their kid is, you know, is interested in what is called black culture by people, or some, they get scared. They're like, yeah. no, you're supposed to aspire to being white in in a way. So it's um, you know, for me. You know, people having those conversations and internally actually reflecting, and the Chinese themselves thinking about it, like, oh, I'm a modern. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad? No, thing? and that's you know, the thing they don't have reflect yeah, enough so about their position. So if they reflect, and then trying to really look at it, and like, oh, so I have been. I don't. know, It's like a control. You know. You know. Um, you know. Sure, I think it's like Michelle. It's like uh, you know Michelle Foucault. is talking about the oh, panoptical kind go. of concept. You know, like the panoptical. Wait, you internalize the thing. It's like okay, I'm being, and then you internalize, you internalize that. You actually think that's you. That's you. You actually think that's you. You know, me. I'm a model. You don't realize that you've yeah. been put for you to watch yourself now. Now, now you're the one that's watching them. No, you know, like oh, the Chinese won't do anything. Yeah. They can. So for me, it's. Um, and in that conversation that we're having, I mean, I thought that was powerful in many ways. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a conversation worth uh, discussing. You know, yeah. it's a conversation that worth questioning, at least among the Chinese or Asian Americans, where people can think about what their aspirations are. But for me, I don't have a problem. I'm a big fan of people who aspire to something. But let those aspirations be yours. Yeah. You know, not have been detected by somebody. Let somebody build up this and like that's what you need to aspire then you're not a free person you know you, but i think this is just scratching the surface this yeah. questioning of the model minority is just the tip of the iceberg not even there yet this this you know we need to get people to actually confront confront and, and admit what their situation is and why they have these in, ingrained biases biases where yes. does it come from yeah you know because see a lot of people you know think like oh yeah you know i can have these views i don't have to question but it's it's bad for you. It's bad for other yeah, people. It's yeah. it's one of those where like you can't Im you don't embody these things. You no. know, like you know, I I really you know, for me, of course, on the other hand, I will be disappointed. Oh disheartened when I grow up and maybe I'm like twenty something or thirty something, and then I figure out maybe How old all are you my now? life I'm like twenty nine now. Okay. All my life, whatever. <laughs> all my life, what I've lived has been some bit of a lie myself i mean there's well, what's uh, a lie? Let, let, yeah let me put it this way um 
You know, James Baldwin used to talk about this uh, a lot. James Baldwin, you know, the, okay, the yes, novelist. Mm. I used to talk about this a lot mm. in the, you know, like... Can we just tell our, our listeners that, so you are an anthropology student, you're almost finishing your degree at the Chinese I University? Did, I, did my, I did my, I did my, yeah, I finished just, my, yeah, yeah. I'm just I finished throwing my, that in because this yes. is a university station, you mentioned Michel Foucault, I'm just, <laughs> people know where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So I mean, what is your... You know, one of my favorite authors, you know, is James Baldwin. I mean, he's genius. He's yes. genius. I mean, I love geniuses like that, you know. No geniuses who are creating bad things to kill people like nuclear weapons. Right. You know, I mean, like geniuses, you know, like James Baldwin, whom I think all America needs to listen to, especially today. Um, so, so he always used to talk about the the idea that there is no freedom for the black man unless the white man is also free. Yeah. Because the, the whole concept of the, you know, the N word, you know, not just the word, the actual concept is a creation of the white person and that um you know that black uh, imagination they have created is it lives within the white person in a man so so it's like if you imagine the black person as inferior as the black person as these savages who can it means you yourself you imagine yourself as something else and you have created a myth about the black person and you are also a myth about yourself yes so so that's why it's harder in America than anywhere else to have the conversation on race. American South Africa particularly, it's very, very hard. Anywhere else there is actually potential progress. Those two places, America and South Africa, is very hard because the whites have, they may not try to acknowledge it now, but they have in many ways been living a myth about it. Their own identity is fake, it's fictional, it's a myth yeah. um, that they need to challenge. When you say the black person isn't what you think they are, they're not this dangerous animal. It means to them, it's actually challenging who they think they are as white. So if you're going to have to free, in terms of like a system that's going to free the black people to be able to realize themselves fully, it's going to be a challenging thing to the white person as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you achieve, you know, sort of a place where the black person feel safe and free? The conversation needs to involve white people more than any other exactly. person. Exactly. They need it's to be in the room for this. Because they are, in many ways, carriers of a very malignant... Okay, but I'm going to bring back yeah. the, the discussion, because yeah. towards the end of my discussion, you brought in a very uncomfortable um, kind of a question to the audience, a hypothetical, that if you're, if you're a white person and you're hired... Yes. Can you give up your job because you think that somebody of a minority should, should who's equally qualified should take this job take and this you job. step down? No, that's, that's, that's for me. That's um, you know that's been a challenge that I use to measure people. You know, I, I help them to measure themselves because I think a lot of people are just as bad, if not terrible. You know, so so when I tell the person like, oh, you think you are a good person, you think you are wonderful, I'm like, let's reverse a little bit. Remember that job you got. And how many people, you actually know when you went to the interview, right? You actually met the other people, you know, and to you yourself, you know you are not actually qualified. You not have been hired in England to be teaching this same job. You not have been hired. You know, you know yourself, you not have been hired. And this person, you know they are much more qualified than you. And why are you taking the job, you know? So if you're taking the job, you are upholding, you are literally enforcing and empowering white supremacy in many ways. You are a white supremacist, a pure white supremacist, because you are benefiting from it. So 
No, that's a that's a big challenge to anybody. Like, oh, so you mean I should give up? Yeah, you yeah. have to. You have to give it up. You know, you know, we need people who have the guts to give up their privilege. Who does that though? That's the thing. But that's the kind of people we need. We don't need allies like these. We're like, oh, I'm an ally. Yeah, allies is a bullshit it's word. It's bullshit isn't it? stuff. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I'm an ally. I would just come like, oh, how <laughs> oh, yeah, are I you have feeling? black friends. Don't you hate that one? Yeah, yeah, I hate it. You know, I'm like, you need to be. This is about you also. Who's going to, but who realistically, look at the, you know, the, uh, the education institution in the States, yeah. they're all, okay, I always say this and it sounds horrible, but they're all run by middle-aged white guys. Yes. Why? And, and but are they willing to come down and say, okay, well, now it's somebody else's turn. I should give this to some We are looking for those. Those are heroes we're going to be looking. Because a hero gives up their power. They could have been enjoying. A hero is not usually somebody who doesn't have much. You know, if you have nothing to lose, what, what, what are you here for? A hero, you've got something to lose. I mean, big something to lose. And that's the point. If you're going to have to be, you know, you do a very fair evaluation of yourself and a very fair evaluation of the people around you, you realize, ah, I came in this job, you know, maybe 20 years ago. When I came, there was a female professor here who was doing great and she's been publishing, she's doing all these things. And why am I the chair of the department and why is she not? What happened here? If that person reflects, they realize something is not right, I have to give up this position. Now these are the kind of people I'm looking for. For me, a person who's not willing to do that. I, I just am so... I, I'm so, I'm, <laughs> that is so frustrating for me because you're opening up this kind of a concept of seeing things that most people don't have and nobody wants to disrupt their place of comfort, right? If, if, if it means, you know, if you have been buying wonderful holiday trips for your kids to go to some fancy places, if it means you're going to be moving from that position to something and your salary gets cut by 40% and your kids won't be able to, to, to go to fancy holidays, you have to do it. It's, for me, that's, that's, that's the kind of people I'm looking for. If I'm going to talk about real change, yeah. revolutionary change, I don't mean people who are going to be with me on the street saying, uh, doing slogans. Right, right. That's okay, but you I'm looking action. for somebody who is like, what about you? If you? What's the person who is with me on the streets? It's protesting, right? Yeah. They think the other. They think they are the holy one. They are morally superior. That's usually one of the moral supremacy that usually comes. They are morally superior than the other white person that is. So they are like, oh yeah, you know, look at all that's bad, terrible people. Me, I'm a good person. I'm like, all right, let's all sit down. Let's do a little reflection on you personally. So, so it gets uncomfortable in many ways. But I think, I think we need to have those conversations. We need to have those. You know, I um, you know, it's, it's something we need to. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well, let's take a breather. Oh, I need a drink after that one. Back here on K2H, I'm Crystal talking to Innocent Mutanga and uh, at the Africa Center of Hong Kong. Boy, there is no shortage of opinions from Okay, so we went off to talk very strongly about how you feel about how real change can happen, and I commend you for that. Um, bold insight and I do hope that people are listening and to reflect on your place of privilege or what it means to be privileged because I think the people who are trying to make this movement are the ones who are not outside of obviously they're the ones who are fighting for it but the ones who are already safe in their bubble are yeah. not because it's not affecting them and they don't want it to affect them they right don't. this is the problem the, since ever it, yeah right it's... so let's go back to your childhood you were talking about growing up in a mining town 
Uh, yeah. Did you have a large family? What did you do growing oh, up? Oh yeah. You? I mean that's um you know that's um you know um I you know I had one brother and one sister so we're kind of like you know I don't know standard family then you know like okay. one brother and sister and me so three kids yeah um and um you know I mean things were going well you know in Zimbabwe at that particular point um you know the country was doing very well it was being called the breadbasket of Africa in many ways and uh you know you know so so. You know, there are two things about, you know, that's about growing in Zimbabwe that maybe a lot of people would not really, uh, not re simply realize easily. You know, is, um, I was lucky that I was born in Zimbabwe because the education there is very good. Is it? For it's everyone. very good. Yeah, I mean, in Africa, the education, you know, in terms of in literature, just by those metrics, Zimbabwe is number one okay. in, in Africa, it, just on those simple metrics. But when it comes to the actual you know, I don't think learning how to say one plus one is actual education. That's no. good. That's that's okay. That's but I think there's there's more to it. But on those numbers, yes, it's definitely good as well. So it's um, because um, our um, first president, our prime minister then, he was a teacher. So the only thing he got right, Robin Mugabe, he got everything wrong, except education. He got everything wrong. <laughs> except education. And he got that better than anywhere else. Uh, in Hong Kong, they still need to decolonize their institutions in many ways. So oh. what he did was to decolonize their education. Um, what so does that mean? There is, um, you know, some example means we are going to have to read African authors. We make the curriculums. Our books we read, they don't have white heroes saving poor black kids are uh, naked with no clothes, mm. you know, we, what that meant. So it, it meant that, you know, we, you know, he's in a very anti-colonial, you know, upbringing, you know, perspective. You know, so it's translate into most people. Even today, people across Africa and the African diaspora, they love it when you talk about his anti-colonial stance, you know, they love it. You know, they may hate everything else he said, but when it comes to that, he's very popular among okay. among the Africans and African diaspora, just primarily because he will say things that nobody will usually say, especially in countries where, even today, you'll be surprised that France do control most of the African countries today. They approve who gets in power. It's, it's sad. It's actually... It's very, very sad. So, so it's a, but when he's challenging those, and he's, so they love that. So, so he got that right. Education, he got, he got everything wrong. I know. He got that right. That's the only thing. Was, this was a guy who was a teacher. This is the guy who had was six or seven degrees. He knew, you know, like bachelor's degrees in, in school. He was this crazy guy who just knew about education. So, so did was, your parents also value education? Like yeah, I mean Zimbabweans value education. It's okay. uh, you mean Zimbabweans, you know, they are obsessed. Um, <laughs> they think there is no life without education. Um, they are obsessed with education. So, so given that background, I was I grew you, up reading a lot. You finished high school in in Zimbabwe. I mean, I did all my my my, my early you know okay. education in Zimbabwe. Um, um, so they, you know, we used to do a reading. We used to, you know, I read a lot. Um, I mean, I read until I ran out of books in my countryside village, you know, like, like literally no books. We had to go and look on every door to find, uh, to find books and we ran out of them, you know, like even more like an addiction. So one of the books I read then, uh, was, um, a book called Things Fall Apart. 
you know, Echino Achebe. You know, I even here at the Africa Center for we have an African Leisure Book Club. Uh, I mean, I always propose that people should read that book every year. Like we repeat that all the time. Like because I think it's a great book, not only for Africans. I think for everybody else, of course, who is not a white man. I mean, literally for everybody else, no white man. Like it's a great book. Um, you know that I think everybody should read. So it's but that um, was transformative to you. It was transformative in many ways. I mean, but I'll just probably in particular, uh, you know, it's the first time when I was reading a book and then I see myself in a book in a more dignified way and a more fair represented way like i don't know you know you got the main character who is violent who is patriarchal but you feel like yeah this he is finally a black man who is actually represented yeah. as a human and it represented our cultures differently because the white man told us that our religions our arts they are evil they are mm. all these things you know like you tell them oh this is evil art let me take it and put it in france you know i'm like you are stealing my evil art and you're putting it in your museum you know so so there was you know so so me reading this and i'm reading this guy and he's speaking of our culture in a very respective way very with context yeah have you ever thought about if you had grown up in the united states how different your way of thinking would have been because of the way the education system is there. I mean, I, you know, it's. I mean, it, I mean, I know it's one of those. You know, I mean, I can't know exactly what it means, let's say, for an African American or for you know. But I, I you know, I. It's not. Like, I'm, I'm pretty, you know, slightly familiar with how the education works there. Um, you know, I think there's a lot to do. You know, in terms of improving how you know how it's done, how it's said. You know, I did take some of those exams, you know, SATs and all that. Well, I don't mean like yeah. those things, but I mean like you were, yeah. a, you were privileged to be able to read books that had you visible in your culture and to see yourself in there. But we're in the States, you know, you mentioned that and it's a big problem is that the education system, the type of history that's being taught Yes. is so slanted to the white framing to, yes. that you would have a very different mindset of who you are as, a, as, a, as an as, as an Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it, you're right. I mean, you know, it's, the, 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 now the idea is, would I have a chance to be given an opportunity to actually get to have access to that particular reading? You know, it was, I'm in Zimbabwe. It's there. Yeah. Like, I, I don't claim to be like, oh my God, I just went to the library and found the books, right? The literature is put in front of me, like, yeah. this is good literature yeah. for you, right? right? So I like that, you know. Yeah. But if I'm America, I probably will not have that. Unless you had a history teacher who happened to have, like, you know, you know African history The, 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 only, the book that most uh, African-Americans have read, and also white Americans read, is the, you know, this one with the white lawyer who is saving black people. What, what is this? No. Uh, um, uh, gosh. Uh, who killed a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah, kill a mockingbird. Yeah, but even them. things like Huckleberry That's, Finn, they're all so white. Heroes. I know. So, 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 so this, these are the books that if you wanna read, it's, it's labeled you no know, African American sort of literature, right? Yeah. You wanna, you understand what? And then that's the stuff you, the stuff you're reading. I'm like. Really? And that's why you have to have, okay, so going back to the American culture, yeah. is people like Toni Morrison who will flip the framing. She will write about critiquing literature written by white people about black culture. About, yeah, so it's a, so, you know, it's good to have somebody writing critiquing, but it's also another step to write some, just something that is just representing a black person yeah. in a more dignified light. That, no, that's a different story, you know. Right. I can critique things, yeah, yeah. But I don't think little kids are going to be critiquing no, things. No, no, no. I need right. to give them. Why do I give them poison and then tell them that was poison? Mm. That's kind of the conversation in America. Like, here's the poison. Drink it, kids. 
And then they're all like, that's poison you just drank, you know, so, so who am I now? So it's kind of like, why don't we just make good food that kids can eat, you know, so write things, draw things that kids can actually uh, be able to, 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 you know, to, 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 to read and, uh, and appreciate themselves. One of the things we're doing here actually, you know, is uh, putting together these manga stories where they have these African heroes. Suppose you don't find African heroes that often, you know, you don't, you don't. So it's like, how do you put that? And then let the kids read and they find something they can identify with, you know, not the stories of savages that the white man has lied about, you know, total, total lies. Total, total lies. You, you know, you find these. So, I mean, that's, it's tough to grow up in America. So, for me, you know, one thing that Chinua Shebe would usually say was, um, until the lions, the lion, learn, until the lions have their own historian, the story of the hunt will always uh, glorify the hunter. You know, so I feel like that's kind of the time where the Africans were like, yeah, now we write our own stories, right? You know, we write our own stories now. It's so all like, you know, for me, you know, there are sometimes I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to spend time critiquing. I'm just going to, you know, sometimes people get shocked. Like, I would present something and I never put a white man in it, you know. They were like, ah, oh, what about the whites? I'm like, so you can't have a conversation without that, isn't it? Yeah, everything is framed around whiteness. Yeah, I'm like, we can't have a conversation. So it's either we're critiquing whiteness or we are literally upholding whiteness. I'm like, critiquing is good, but why can't we have something without white? Yeah. Let's let's just you know you know explore ourselves you know so it's a it's a thing that I'm hoping a lot more people will get into so so for me I was lucky in that sense growing up that I, I had that uh, growing up in a country that was like that you know um, so it's 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 luck I think it's largely luck in do you ways. have a favorite food growing up that you had that you'd like to share yeah um, <laughs> I was kind of weird uh, <laughs> my favorite food. Um, was actually uh, it wasn't people's favorite. It was um, okra. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's funny because that's a southern food, like an American South food. They people also they also have that, right? Um, so we so we have different versions of it. Um, my real favorite is not no you want you know the one that they make like the one they cut cut like this, right? That, that one is uh, one type. Um, that wasn't really the my favorite okay. one. It has a very peculiar taste though. Yes, but there is another one which is very good that we have in Zimbabwe. Um, that one is actually grows in the forest. It's oh. leaves. It's just leaves. Okay. Like small tiny leaves. How do you leaves. cook it? Um, we put uh, a soda, you know. Do you uh, like saute it? Like yeah, and then you put soda and then you, you, you boil the soda and then you put the, the okra leaves inside. Okay. And okra you, leaves. Yeah, and then you do, and then it's more like a smear, like more like a slippery, you know. Oh. My goodness. It's, really? It's delicious. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's delicious. You uh, know, most people like would remember something like a sweet dessert as a childhood favorite. You have these funny leaves from the forest. Yeah, I, I mean, I was a very simple child in terms of, when it comes to food. I mean, I could eat that afternoon. Night, afternoon, wow. <laughs> night, afternoon. I was, <laughs> just I was, you know, they knew, they, 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 even the neighbors knew that. Oh, what's it called? It's a derere or itelele. Derere or derere, which kind of comes from the, the way it goes. Like, you know, it's kind of from the sound, the, the shape of it. Okay. Like, you know, itelele. So basically itelele, that's like in the bele word. Derere is like shorter word. Okay. So we would uh, gather and then, you know, I, I would go have it you know in the forest and pick it up and uh, i cook it myself my goodness it was uh 
It was delicious, you know. Well, I don't think Americans will have a chance to taste that type of uh, Yeah, they need to go to Zimbabwe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, okay, well, let's let that thought. Um, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more. I don't know how to do It's okay. Myself. Well, you know, this is what happens. Yeah. All right, we're back. <laughs> we're talking about food, and you mentioned off-air that you said that this noodle thing is your favorite place. Yeah, yeah. I okay. mean, I love the Tamsai noodles. You know, it's uh, it's very special. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, they have a special soup called Malay which they it's quite delicious in many ways okay, um, whenever I bring my other friends who are not you know Hong Kongers they, they love it you know they love it they enjoy it you know um, yeah but our conversation also is about how expats here are living in this privileged bubble where they don't really go into the streets to to try local foods and or they claim they do like they think that they understand some things and I, I I don't know I mean it's well, expert knowledge on food in Hong Kong is it doesn't go beyond chassis fun um, <laughs> It's really that because they think it's a password, you know, to use among their Hong Kong. No, that's why the Hong Kong friends they need to stop doing doing this. The Hong Kong friends, you know, an expert just say, "Oh, just if I, oh wow." Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're so local. You're so local. More local than me. You are so local more than me. I'm like, hey, don't do that. Don't don't fool this guy. Why are you keep on fooling this guy? Tell this guy, man, you got a long way to go. <laughs> But they so, won't. They, what is it? Okay, so, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a blurry space because I can connect. When I came here, I was in the film industry. I, I was more comfortable working and hanging out with the crew than with those stupid movie stars with their sunglasses on because they're real people. They, they talk about real things, right? You, can, you sit on the side and you don't have your kind of high, yeah. mighty, you know, whatever treatment. But you're real people. But I feel like the expats are the same situation. They, they think they can see things, but they refuse to go there. Yeah, it's um, I you know I you know it's one of those things where I don't even know. Is it like a white supremacy thing? Like it's if you're gonna equate it to the American system? Yeah, it's, I mean, how how do you become comfortable in a place you're so ignorant of? Mm. For me, that's amazing courage. I'm like, hey, you're so comfortable, confidently. Some are professors, by the way, you know, confidently standing in front of students and teaching them. And you yourself don't know anything, really, about these people uh, beyond Cha Siu Fan and, uh, and Sun Yat-sen and um, what are some of the things they throw? You know, you, you don't know much. So for me, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. How can somebody have that courage to do that? Yeah. Like, so you need to really learn and be able to understand what the culture and the society works. Well, that's in the microcosm of Hong Kong, but if we're taking it to a global stance, yeah. um, you mentioned something really important earlier um, about the global shift in consciousness. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I mean, as I highlighted, is that there is a change in terms of consciousness. If you were white, in the past you could survive, you could do things. As a white person are you talking yes. about? Or just yes. any person in a If you position? represent, by white, maybe more clear. By white, I don't just mean the people color white. Okay. You can be Chinese and be very much True. white. Oh, you know? absolutely. Especially you know? those British. <laughs> yeah, you can be black and be very much white in terms of, you know, what you represent. And like that anchor on CNN? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really seen, I haven't seen, yeah, you know, you can be, you represent, you embody it. You know, whiteness is not people, okay? A lot of people are like, oh, you're whiteness, yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's it's more than that, you know. You could you know in the past like oh yeah you uh, you know like oh yeah you know you went to Oxford you know, come here you, you represent 
this white thing they have created. And then you think you're going to be like, oh yeah, you know, and then the British tell you, you're going to be the one to, to manage these people, you know. Those things are not going to work anymore. You need real value. Real, real, real value. So the people are changing around the world. They are not just, you know, you know, people are, people are challenging things. People are moving on. People are removing the statues. What do you think the removal of those statues is about? We've been like, oh my God, glorious Winston Churchill. Now I'm like, hey, 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 not mm, that one. Cecil right? John Rhodes, you know, or like, hey, 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 not that one, you know. They were celebrating that particular case. And mm. then people are realizing, but can we aspire to this? I'll give you one example which I like to give, which is Japan. Japan has been going through lost decades for three, yeah. three decades. In the 1970s, 1980s, Japan aspired to be white. They even wanted to join the European Union. They thought they were not Asians. They even wanted to be part of the European Union. Japan aspired everything white until the bubble. <laughs> and then the bubble came and then the bubble. And then Japan now doesn't even know what to do with them. Now they're having a huge existential crisis. Yeah. A huge existential crisis happening in Japan. And I can diagnose it very well. It's because of that desire for whiteness that they could not. You cannot be, you know, I think James Baldwin again, my favorite. Mm -hmm. He gave, oh no, this wasn't James Baldwin. This was uh, Franz Fanon, okay? He gave the example of, um, you know, a young man growing up desiring to be white and then one day looks in the mirror by looking in the mirror and you actually encounter the white people and then they don't acknowledge that you are white mm. you are something less of a human being you're subhuman in many ways it's a devastating moment yeah that's when you talk about psychosocial effect like psychologically it's traumatizing to be able now that's where japan is japan need to kind of an identity yeah crisis. because they are desiring whiteness all of them they have been desiring whiteness and then now, how are they going to have to move forward? Now they're struggling. Oh, how do we build our economy? I'm like, just stop idolizing whiteness. Hmm. You are here. This is your place. This is called Asia. At least, literally, we know this concept. You know, I'm like, you might want to look inside and start being confident who you are. And you know, stop all these desires for, for being, you know, especially modeling, trying to model people who are failing so bad. You yeah. know? So it's and the a, education system worldwide is also kind of trapped in that concept as well. Um, but do you think that, you know, you're based in Hong Kong, but when you see what's erupting, that Black Lives Matter movement erupting in, in or has erupted in the United States and globally, mm -hmm. do you think that this is going to, like you say, it's, it's shifting, but how much yes. can it shift and change and alter our positions? And what does it take to change? It's um, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's only one part of this conscious revolution, consciousness revolution that's happening across the so-called global south um, and the non, you know, Western European societies. It's huge. Black Lives Matter is only one. People are not aware of what else has been happening in other parts of the world. And that's another thing about the ignorance in American culture is you don't see beyond. You, you know, they don't. The people are not aware no. of what else has been happening. Yeah. So usually when people they come talk to us and then we're like, oh yeah, you know, we, we've been thinking about these things, you know. They are book, books that have been written. Now let's talk about people like Franz Fanon, you know, like who wrote books like why, 60s, in the 1970s, right? Mm. Nobody really was reading that. Right now, the most read 
Franz Fanon and James Baldwin are coming up. Mm. And these are the people who, if anything, they were talking about this whole idea of consciousness. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I think, I think it, it's sweeping. It's really a wind, a wind of change. It's, for me, it's refreshing. You know what, the people who think the world is, is, is about to end, is terrible, everything is bad, it's because they are the ones who have been holding that yes. power. For me, I am like, woohoo, the world is spinning. Time for us too. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah, knock, knock, here we come. It's a good time for you to be here with a voice. It's, but, yeah. So this voice, do you think that this voice came from your experience and your process and journey coming from Zimbabwe and coming here? You didn't really mention it. Yeah, that's what I was saying that. earlier, that I saw, I saw a huge shift in the... From the six, seven years you've been here. Um, even before I came here. Okay. Why did you leave? Um, let, let me finish. Yeah. So I saw a huge shift in the sort of power shift, mm. culturally, politically, like how significant this particular region is becoming. And then I realized that there is an opportunity and there is a chance for something really nasty at least for our people, Africans, or African diaspora, mm. how the nasty scenario is that the Asians here, they gain political power. Here as in Hong Kong? Hong Kong, China, Asia. Korea, okay, Japan. Okay. It's not a secret that power-wise, America is falling down yeah. like a rock. Oh, yeah. Britain, it's old news. Yeah. And they are going down, you know. They try to be significant, they are not going to be significant anyway. You know, it's not, there is, by just normal power index, in many ways, we can do any measure, they're going down. It's not a secret, this particular region is growing by any power index. For sure. So I saw that. I said, there is a nasty scenario, potential nasty scenario, is that people are going to start, and then these people here, they're going to, because the more you become more significant, the more you start consciously trying to look around the world, like, oh, so who am I? At? You know, in reference. To the, in reference. People are going to do that. It's natural. Because right now, people have been sort of like referencing the West. Yeah. You know, Always. but now they're going to be like, oh, how now it's kind of shifting. Now I'm sort of somewhere. So, given that, I was afraid that they were going to adopt things from the Western world mm. on how they see the Africans, okay. how they see the black people. And they, if they adopt that stuff, my goodness. But they were hiring African professors to teach related things to Africa. I am like, oh, 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 no, 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 this can't be happening, you know. So I saw that, oh, that's a nasty scenario. Like, we need to be there to take control of the narrative. Mm -hmm. We need to take it over. Otherwise, it's going to be very, very nasty. Very, very nasty. For the next 200 years for our people in many ways. So how do we yeah, how? be at that part of the change? Because the past 10 years alone has been quite a huge change in this particular region. And it's going to be, five years later, I won't be able to identify this region. A lot of people are not aware of that. So with that pulse, that urge, that kind of um, instinct for this, that is what drove you out? To me, that was what was um, pulling me towards here in many ways. I had already had the thought in the past that okay. I, I went to America, I lived in America for a bit, and then I, I was clear that you know, I didn't know how to navigate Asia then. I'm like, you know, I know how to navigate America mm -hmm. in the sense like, oh, I go to school, I can do that. I went to America, and I'm like, okay. But I was clear. Even the school I chose, I chose a school that my classmates were Asians. 
I'm like, hey, this is how I'm gonna do it. I chose a program, actual science, which was all Asians, literally. There was me, Asians, and maybe two white guys. And the rest were Asians, you know. So I chose that because I knew that I need to be in this particular place at this particular time because it's special. It has to be, I have to be there. It's just a small window. Okay. If we don't take control, it's history. We're gonna have to count that for the next 200 years, mm. the Africans, yeah. I will be bullied by Asians if we don't, we are not careful. So we need, you know, I, I, again, you know, I think I'm going to cite against James Baldwin. I don't know why I keep citing him. It's okay. He, he would talk about something like, it's not, you know, it's not because the person is evil as a person. It's the position that they are. That if they're given the same tools, the same system, a different person would just be as nasty. So, but how do we be in a place and be able to build these systems together, which works best for our people? Um, you know, I was like, you know what, yeah, I'll be here. If I'm going to have to put my everything in it, I will. So I will be here. So for me, that was sort of the pulling factor in it. Like, okay, we need to facilitate this. Yeah, we okay. need to facilitate this. So then, okay, so so pulling it, you, you, you had that little taste of what it was or what it wasn't was in yeah. the United States, and you came to Hong Kong. Now, Hong Kong, at the time you came, were you as a refugee status or a student status? Yeah, yeah, refugee status, yeah. Okay, yeah. so we all know, I mean, maybe people don't in the States, they don't yeah. know what it means to have a refugee status um, in, in a place like Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I, you know, I think, you know, I mean, I'm not going to talk for everybody, no. you know. I guess for me, you know, I'm usually clear on what I want to do in many ways. Like, you know, I came here, I just focus on what I, uh, you know, you know, I didn't focus on how much of a victim I am. Yes, and that is that's kind of not a that's not my nature. Mm. Um, I'm like, yeah, this is this has happened. Okay, all right, that's where we are now. What do we do from now? You know, and then I spend most of my time in the libraries, you know, reading about Hong Kong societies and attending. You know, they used to host a lot of uh, community sharings. You know, Blue House, different yeah. places. I used to go to all those. You know, screenings and mm -hmm. discussions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're in Cantonese. I go with a friend. They explain to me. But then when I came to Hong Kong. There was no English media SCMP. At South China Morning Post, you have to pay for that. You know, now you don't because they they have competition. Online. And now it's online, right? You know, so there was no access. I had friends who, one friend particularly, um, she would translate for me articles every morning. Translate the Chinese oh. articles every morning when I was here the first time. Every morning she tells me what are people talking about. She would translate for yeah. me. You know, maybe just give me a, a synthesis of, of uh, like a short intro of each of those. And then I was, I, I had to stay in touch because I was so hungry to try to learn how things are working. So translate things for me. So, so, um, so things have changed in many ways. At least for me, I can be able to understand things now, you know. But you came here with the intent of going to university and studying anthropology or no? Uh, it just kind of fell in your lap or? I, went, I, you know, I didn't say I'm going to be out here studying anthropology. I was studying actual science before, you know. Uh, when I came here, you know, I guess more questions and more, and more, you know, I was very in numbers uh, before that. Um, a very oh, number. Okay. So that was, uh, was your strength. Was, your yeah, yeah. I mean, mathematics was, you know, I always tell people that I'm, uh, you know, in terms of numbers now, I'm becoming dumber. You know, when I was young, uh, mathematics or maths, as we call it, was really something. That was very strong. Do you think that's the education system, or is it just you as the way your brain works? Um, I think um, I can't say it's the education system. I think it's a. 
I think it's just what fascinated me. I was fascinated by, I'm still fascinated by systems. So I take my, my mathematical thinking, analytical thinking, right. into society. Okay, you use that approach into and applying it into Yes. So, so, so in many ways, I haven't really lost much of that. So I would take that. You know, that's why when it comes, I would usually talk a lot about systems, you know, because I find yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, you see, I think your yeah. global perspective is actually very analytical. Yeah, so, so, yeah so, 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 so I was very strong in that. Yeah. Um, but when I, I realized when I was in high school, um, you know, I'll get, you know, a B for history. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, yeah. I, well, I didn't like that. No, yeah. but I could tell, like, because you were an avid reader, you had that in you. So when you came here, you kind of kept it going. Yeah. But let's... Um, yeah, no, I, I just thinking about my son, they, they, or all my children, they all, they are so pathetic in math, and I wonder what it was, because I grew up, my, my elementary school yeah. education was in Hong Kong, I was very good at math, and yeah. so when I went to the States, I was like a, a level higher than the local students, but my kids growing up there are just pathetic, and I wonder <laughs> if it's because they don't have my genes, or because the education system screwed them up. I, I just yeah. wonder. Oh, like, why, in a, in a way? Yeah. I mean, it's a... You know, I don't know. Maybe it maybe my you know my my more nicer view is probably that they are uh, discovered more ways to express themselves. You yeah. know, so maybe they have other things, other ways maybe. that they feel like they can fully yeah. express themselves in many ways. Well, I'm hypercritical uh, of the way people express themselves now because expressing yourself doesn't mean that you understand more. It's just that people in the United States tend to have more of an opinion about things, but it's actually without, revealing right, their ignorance. The, yes, that's the thing, right? You need to understand the uh, the things first before you. Yes. You and going back to your global shift in consciousness yes. is that now people are beginning to question why they are the way they are or yes. why things are not. So let's, on that note, yeah. we're going to come back for one final part, but we haven't even tapped into your views on women. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm here with Innocent and he is going to tell me about his views on women. And, and let's, let's start with your relationship with your mother. Um, was she a strong role model to you? Did she kind of, um, kind of ingrain these values of you and how to treat women? And yeah, I mean, I was lucky in many ways because I was raised by a single mother, uh, and what that meant is that it put me in a position to see how nasty society was uh, towards women. Um, because Just the, in Africa or in like... Well, you know, I think all across the world. Um, but I mean, I, you know, I, for me, the, I was young, right? And then I see all these men coming, you know, like trying to tell my mother how to raise kids, mm. you know. And everybody's, you know, the person who is totally failing to, to, do, to, 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 to raise his own family, because he's a man, for some reason, they thought they can come and tell my mother how to do things. Man, I hated it to the core. I hated everything of it. Like, I've, you know, they're like, oh, you should raise your son like that, you know, you know. and then they're, I'm like, I was, you know, so I never appreciated all of that. Like, is it like a village mentality? Uh, no, I think it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a thing that it's, it's, it's just, it's just man. Okay. It's just man. You, you're gonna find man. Just world, worldwide. Well, I mean, now that I've grown older and I've studied anthropology and I read, multiple societies it's just man okay. it's just simply man you know um you know and i don't think that is you know natural or genetic it's in not. any it's not it's uh, it's just so something nurtured it's yes nurtured you know nature is a nature it's nurtured it's culture they, they've been raised like that yes um and um it's um 
you know, again, you know, I mean, it's, you know, maybe let me to, to put something that I think is more, uh, you know, I, I sometimes I feel like women also who grow up with, uh, with those men, when we are growing up, we don't have women who challenge in terms of telling you, call you out, you know, um, you know, I think I would have needed more of that when I was uh, young. You know, somebody who calls me out as a as a as a boy. You know, growing up, of course, gaining that sort of toxic masculinity in many ways. You know, I would have preferred somebody who calls me out, not uh, somebody who is going to be, you know, my ego. You know, you know, mm. you know, like touching my ego nicely. You know, I wish. Obviously, there's more of that, at least within our own houses. You know, I feel like. Um, there should be a way, maybe there is no way to equip some of the girls mm. to grow up, to equip their fathers, to equip their, their, their brothers, you know, to be able to grow up as better men, you know. Um, you know, because it, it seems like, you know, post at some point, just, they just become, yeah. you know, something terrible uh, in many ways. Um, and we don't challenge that, you know. And well, it's also what you're exposed to or what you're, you know, educated to be. You know, it's a perpetual thing, right? Yeah, it's... The lack of education, the lack of influences or what you see outside. Yeah, yeah, you know, so, so it's, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, uh, you know, I always highlight this, you know, when it comes at least to where I grew up, you know, but... Um, and what do you mean by that? Like, do you mean like the way men tend to control the women or expect them to be, you know, a certain position or a, a silent role in the family, all that stuff? Yeah, all that stuff. Okay. All that stuff. You know, what's, what's weird is that most of that stuff was not very inherent in African societies, at least in Africa. Um, that was taught very recently, with, largely with Christianity, you know. Mm. So when we, you go to rural Africa sometime, you... A lot of people get surprised when you have leaders who are women and they don't see... But when you go to the city, the so-called modern people, they are the pure embodiment of patriarchy in oh, Christian yeah. form as you can find it. Mm. And then go to the rural areas, people who are still practicing more indigenous spirituality, they realize, oh, the woman is the one that's going to work more, mm -hmm. you know. I actually think men, they are just like lazy guys who are just drinking uh, beer all day and, and talking politics they don't understand, <laughs> you know. Um, when women are actually working so hard and right. women are doing the leadership, or women, they're actually doing the thing. So it's, um, for me, that was a very interesting dynamic, uh, especially when I went to, because I was raised in that particular context, right? Like you see these men were trying to, to but it didn't add up to me. Because I, so women were doing more in society than men. I feel women were doing more, they were contributing more. My own mother was hella smarter than all the men that I've seen. Not only that, I've seen, I haven't seen people, who, honestly, I haven't seen any people who are smart as she was. Hmm. You know, she, you know, do miracles for people in many ways. Um, so for me, it was, it didn't add up. But did she teach you things like how to respect a woman's body or how do you treat a partner with respect, she that kind of thing? didn't need to tell me how to do or not to do things. I think for me, that was the male and the female character I only have. Yeah. So I didn't have much of the poison that the other kids were, were growing up with. So... You know, she would usually comment 
whenever a certain man, she would just say, oh man, you know, like a man say something, you know, like, because they, they are a man, right? Yeah. And they're talking to women, yeah. and then they say something, and then she'll probably just, oh man, you know, by saying yeah, yeah. man, I already know, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so I guess that's what some of the education would come okay. in through that. Um, Did you have a girlfriend in high school? Were you allowed to... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> did we have girlfriends? I mean, it's been a long time. Uh, Not that long. You're only twenty nine. Come on. <laughs> I I can remember my first boyfriend. Come um, on. Yeah, I think I heard. Yes, I think I heard at that particular point. I think I think it was uh, it was a thing that we we all did at that point. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was uh, talking to her sometime, of course, later. You know, uh, you know, like oh, you know, I'm just trying to ask on what you know. They did comment that I was at least different in that way, that I treated them as a human being. <laughs> um, it didn't make any sense to me when I was younger, you know. Um, you know I'm not saying I was free from the toxic masculinity, no. Right. You know, that is But where does that come from? Do you think that comes from a, a society kind of, um, just your environment, or is it something innate? Like you said, it's nurtured, but I'm just trying to think, in context to let's yeah. just say the American prison system. Yes. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because my um, I have a producer that I'm working with for my documentary, and she she directed this film called and you should check it out. It's called The Feminist in Cell Block Y. Okay. And it's about this prison in the United States yeah. where this one guy discovers the the importance and the significance of feminism, and he decides to create these workshops with all the guys to question what toxic masculinity is, yeah. why this patriarchal system that we kind of take for granted has imposed this belief system that we need to be a certain way to women and not just to women why we need violence to control yes. other people yeah i think i think on the what usually the conversation misses is that toxic masculinity is not only affecting women negatively it's actually affecting men yeah. because you develop that as a kid because that's the only way you can survive well, is it? Is it? When you're, when you're in, I mean, like, not when you are in the, in, in the, in your, in, in, around your family. There's certain areas boys play. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's nasty. It's tough. Yeah. If you don't go and hit somebody, someone's gonna hit you. Yes. That kind of so if you let somebody hit you, everybody now can hit you later on. Now you are being bullied every day. So now you're a little kid. That's why I say sometimes the conversation on, fem on feminism or uh, on gender equality need to. Think about the little boys and where do these things happen mm -hmm. so now you are vulnerable if you show yourself as weak my goodness not only do do, do boys bully you even girls are gonna come and bully you too mm -hmm. later but usually in you're not gonna survive very well you know I think societies are much more different now at least when I was growing up we had this child kingdom only children kingdom you know where it's just boys kingdom mm -hmm. you know we're doing high jump, we're doing these games, and it's a battle of masculinity. Yes. It's a total battle of masculinity. Um, from penis sizes yeah. to who can jump the most, who is faster, yeah. who can do the arms this one, uh, who has slept with more girls. And yeah. it's, we are lying I, to each other. How right, many right. girls <laughs> have you slept that's with? Worldwide. You know, we're lying like, yeah. yo, yeah, I've slept yeah, yeah. with 10. You know? <laughs> and we all like, so, so it's tough. For the little boy, so it's like they don't have any other education. Right. So how they do you? Strive to be like yeah. That. How do you? How do you? They just like the intervention needs to happen right there among the boys, and then you show them like you know there is no time. You can't just. This is not the only way you can be able to be a man. 
you know. So it develops there. And then, of course, women become victims too, more so than boys later, because most of these affect in, in these pri private spaces. So it's, um, you know, so, so I mean, I, I, you know, I saw that myself growing up as well, you know, I, I, I saw that, you know. But has living in Hong Kong shifted your attitude towards women in a different way? Because now you're dealing with the way Asian women are. I mean, what are your views on that? You know, the, the coyness, the games that Asian women play, I don't know how much you've, experience you've had with that. But there again, these, um, they're not necessarily stereotypes, but there are the way, you know, a, a quintessential Asian way of saying no means yes, yes means no, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, you know, it's very... How does it affect you? Um, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Right? That's, that's a very good question. I mean, for me, having to, because they are wise, just, just to give you a little context, they are wise. There's a very orientalist way of looking at Asian women, which is uh, very Western in many ways. You know, uh, these submissive, you know, kind of, um, you know, women. Um, so for me, and there's a way they look at me as well, right? Like there's Absolutely. a way Asian women look at me, right? Or African man, strong and all that stuff, right? Yeah. So usually, my difficulty at some point was that some girls would want to play dumb. I hate that. Yeah. Don't Can play you see dumb. through it? Yes, it's 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 plain. Okay. I'm like I hate it. Yeah. I'm like don't play dumb in front of me. Yeah. You know I get the the danger the gender <laughs> how gender this conversation is becoming. I'm like you know. Let's just talk. Yeah. You know, I understand this game. You know, I but know. But then you have the other extreme, like the typical American woman who has nothing hidden. <laughs> That's a. Uh, There's no. You know, let's uh, you know. But on the other hand, in speaking of Asian women. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, um, as I said earlier, I learned mostly about gender from mostly Indonesian domestic workers. Okay. For me. That was the huge radical education on women. It blurs, you know, they, for me, they were black and white at some point on mm -hmm. what women are and what women are not. If you ask me eight years ago, what are women? I will list for you things. What are men? I will list for you things. But after I interacted with the international message, I don't even know how to, those black and white things don't exist in my vocabulary anymore. Like, I've lost it. You know, you seeing assertive women, right? I always tell people like Indonesians can organize, Indonesian domestic workers in Hong Kong, they can organize an event at a lower cost, much better quality than the one that most of the Chinese people organize here. Really? Very successful. I've seen protests organized by Indonesians, way more successful. Strategy. I've never seen such a good strategy. I always think like if these people were leading a military whatever fight, these women will win. They are very strategic. For me, that was something that I'd never thought of. Like, yeah. you know, you grow up, you think, oh, women are emotional, and all those stereotypes. Then you see the women are sitting down strategically, like, okay, you focus on this, you focus on this. Here's what we really want to achieve when we go to this protest. We will know we have succeeded if we tick this box and this box and this. If we don't, let's come back to the drawing board. Why we failed? I. And these are like, you know, to some Hong Kong people, like, oh, this is just, in, these are like domestic workers. You know, yeah, they see them. I am like, Hong Kong people need to learn from them. If you need to know how to organize, some people <laughs> are learn from domestic workers. 
I have never seen anybody that good. I was, I'm always impressed. I just don't think that your yeah. average listener in the in America would understand because there's a lot to unpack in what your relationship was in understanding women through Indonesian helpers because yeah. of the class, because of the different circles, the com different communities, and all the layers with your background. So I don't know. I mean, in terms of bringing yeah. it back to what Americans can comprehend about I mean, all, all your perspective on women. You know, I, I, that's, that's a very that's a very tough position, right? You know, it's um, you know most, most of the things are not equivalent. You know, like what do you aspire? Like what do you think? Like if you have a daughter, how would you want to educate her in this time and age on both racism and gender issues? I I thought about it before. You know, like you know, I learned it from my friends who are Indonesian helpers. I'm like, well, I think the starting point is that. Well, every maybe Sunday or two, you know, she's gonna have to be joining and learning as well in a more. Suppose it, why why that environment is easy to learn about women is that it's usually on a Sunday in a park, yeah, and it's all 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 women. Wait, to explain to the American yeah. listeners is that a lot of times on Sundays all the domestic That's the holiday. have the day off and they're really yes. sprawled all over the streets because they have so, nowhere to go. So in a park, it's all women. Yes. So the environment is literally run by women. Yes. I always think like if we had countries run by women, it would be in a much better place. Look at the COVID. They're always saying the ones with the with female leaders it's are much they're more doing contained. Much, and we have people like it's again the idea of toxic masculinity. You know, you know. Of course, and being an idiot. Yeah, know. yeah, idiot. Like, oh, I don't need to wear a mask. I don't need to. You know, <laughs> you know. It's, you know. So, so when I, it's for me, for me, it's like I'm not gonna claim that I know how to raise a girl child. What I would do, I would try to listen as much as I can. You know, um, and I will, I will, I will be more. You know, I'm not gonna be taking them to to, to toy shops to, to pick up babies. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give them to explore. Um, I will definitely try. It's not like I'm gonna try to suppress the stereotypical femininity. I'm gonna be like, let's see. I'm gonna learn actually from them. I'm gonna be like, well, let me put it here. Let's see what you're gonna take. I'm gonna see ask what questions. what nature is, right? Yeah, I'm gonna ask. Oh, so why, why, why that, and why not that? Like, what if she grows up to be, you know, lesbian? How do you feel about that? No, that's no problem with that. What's, what's this? What's the problem with that? Exactly. Just, you know, if anything, probably I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, yeah. I mean, if anything, you'll probably be happy. I mean, it's a, you know, I think it's also gonna, you know, if my daughter is a lesbian, you know, I, I don't know how old would I be at that particular point. Maybe sixty. For me, it's, it's probably. <laughs> you think you're gonna be a late father? You know, I don't know. You don't you know, want to have a child yet. No, I, I don't know. No. Do you have a child? No. Okay. <laughs> Just do you know if you have any that exists out there? <laughs> or maybe I don't know if I have a child, right? <laughs> I don't have a child. No, I don't. Um, I think for me it'll be a new, and you know, it's not like a new world. I mean, I, I, but it's something to to learn. I'm always looking for learning experiences. So something like that to me is like. Hmm. Yeah, let, let me learn how this all this work. For me, it's really a learning experience. I mean, I, uh, I love those new experiences. Okay. It's it's it it get to let me learn about myself as well. Yeah, and it's a learning process as the world. Okay, yeah. so I know this has been ongoing, but I wanted to wrap it up. I wanted to give you a chance to maybe pose a question and leave our audience lingering with some kind of thought that you would like to give based on your experience in your life, coming from Zimbabwe, coming to Hong Kong, and, and seeing how life has treated you or how people treat each other and this changing time with COVID and racism. What do you want our audience to leave thinking? For me, 
I what I would really want people to, to, to think more about is you know to go beyond the lens of victimhood uh, when you're looking at these um, and um, turn the tables around and let it face you as a person um, be it a man or white or Chinese you know or Indian of higher caste um, totally look at it like how am I a part of the oppressive system like for me that is gonna it's gonna be tough it's like you know looking into your ancestors history and realize your ancestors were the most oppressive slave slave owners you know it's like there are so many skeletons in us you know, that if you turn things around, don't, 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 don't uh, spend too much on you thinking you're morally superior than other people. It's to turn things around and say, how am I part of the oppressive system? And how can I free myself? Because you really need to free yourself. People think, that's the problem. People, they have this savior mentality again. They think I'm going to be saving all these black people and women. Yes, that's the problem. Mentality. It's like, how can I? Because you are a myth yourself. You are living a lie in money else. If you're a man or why, how do I free myself from the myth? All these myths that I've been taught, that I've learned, you know. Um, so I think for me, turning things around and making it about yourself, I think for me that's what I hope people could actually take away from it. Well, I wish you the best of luck here and I see that you are turning things around and so I'm going to be, um, yeah, I'm privileged to have this time with you. And that was Innocent Mutanga. Thank you so much for sharing all your... I wish I had a little more dirty secrets from you, but maybe another time. <laughs> Thank you.